0: right above the trees as we're talking out of nowhere this disc just appears right above the trees and the whole time that we started looking at this thing and trying to study it we felt like we were being uh almost like pulled by it. It 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 seemed to have this real intense allure or energy towards us and like it was almost beaming it towards our direction so we kind of felt like we were getting a little bit
1: tugged. Many millennia ago, at the peak of Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights, a group of divine beings known as the Watchers, or Sons of God, descended in an act of rebellion against their king, Yahweh. By teaching them the secret knowledge of the cosmos, they sought to wrestle dominion of the earth away from humanity. They bore children with them, and their offspring were both human and divine. These giants are the demigods of old, and the events that transpired would forever alter the course of human history. At Camp Hermann, we discuss the oddities of the ancient world and their lingering impact on our world today. Welcome. Hey, campers. Welcome back to another episode of Campermon. As always, I'm Chris. I've got my wonderful co-host, Tori. What up, Tori?
2: Hey, campers. Hey, Chris.
1: Hey. So, Tori, who do we got coming on tonight?
2: Tonight, we have a very special guest. His name is Brandon Beal. Brandon is a personal friend of me and Chris. Through the podcast, he became a member, has reached out to us. We've shared a lot of awesome conversations with him um brandon has also been a part of um, our monthly members chats of which we've had two so far more in the pipeline um anyway brandon's a really great guy he's been walking with the lord for a long time he lives in colorado currently is a bit of an outdoorsman i would say um and has had some really cool encounters that we're going to talk about tonight
1: yeah and uh he's got a like you know, I'm bald, Tori, and he's just got just long luscious hair. So I'm definitely jealous of that. He's got a pretty sweet beard. But I did yeah. want to say, aside from his luscious locks and his beautiful beard, that we appreciate Brandon. You know, he he connected, I think, initially with you, Tori, through Instagram. And then he's joined Camp Ramon. So as a member. So we definitely appreciate his support. And yeah, he's got some interesting stories that he's gonna tell us tonight. And I did want to just throw this out there that if you're listening and you've got some wild or interesting stories, supernatural encounters, and you would be interested in coming on the show, go to campermon.com on the contact page. You can fill out like a contact form and just shoot it to us. And I'll be in touch with you to just talk about uh, what you may or may not have to say, you know, if you want to come on the show. So just go to Campermon.com, go to the contact page and shoot us your information. And we'll get in touch with you about having you come on the show. And Tori, we haven't thanked our amazing sponsor, Kevlar Joe in a while. So I want to just talk about that for a second, Tori. Jump in and tell us like, what's, what's your favorite blend? I know it's probably the Bigfoot blend.
2: Yeah. That's a great question. So if y'all haven't tried Kevlar Joe coffee yet, you really need to, you're missing out. It's incredible organic coffee. Nick Fisher is the roaster. He's a veteran. So it's veteran owned small business right here in the heartland. He makes incredible coffee. I don't know what my favorite is. I'm a big fan of the Irish Joe, but also the sleepy Joe. And of course the Campermon Bigfoot blend. It's really fun to see the Campermon logo on a coffee bag Um, his bags also have Bible verses on them and like every package that Nick sends out of his coffee, he writes a handwritten note and it's super encouraging. It's really sweet. I love, I love ordering his coffee and getting those little notes. So um, I didn't even know he did that until my parents ordered some and there was a note in there to my parents and I was like, wow, so cool. So we love supporting small businesses, especially our friends, especially Nick Fisher at Kevlar Joe.
1: Yeah. And if you guys want to support Nick and what they're doing over there, you can go to kevlarjoe.com. If you use the promo code CAMPERMON10, you'll get 10% off of any order, whether it's the Bigfoot blend or anything else you order. Supports Nick, veteran-owned business, and you're supporting CAMPERMON. So we appreciate you guys for uh, supporting Nick and su- for supporting us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one more quick note you just mentioned um, Brandon's hair or his flow game as the kids call it. Um, I would also just like to add for those of you who may not know what Brandon looks like, or if you haven't talked to him, like, I really feel like I'm having a conversation. He's, he's like a Jesus look like and I feel like everyone would recognize that, you know? So right. in more, in more ways than one, like he's, I mean, yeah, such, such a cool dude, but really looks a lot like any painting you've probably ever seen of Jesus. So that's kind of fun.
1: Yeah. Brandon, Have you been in a lot of Easter plays at churches?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, uh, uh, that question started when I went to Bible college, for sure. They are like, "Uh, you've been in Christmas shows, haven't you? And I'm like, no, to surprise. But no, I haven't. Not yet. So uh, (laughs) hopefully this is just the launching pad that I have to uh, really go into that. So maybe you guys are really my launching pad. Um,
1: Hey. Yeah. You you never know. You never know. I'll tell you a one fun fact about me. When I was in, when I I lived in Japan for four years, I was in the military. I'll make this brief. I was one of like maybe four or five like white guys at a predominantly black church. And one year they asked me to play Jesus in the like little Easter play thing, you know, where Jesus being crucified. Right. And I remember the senior pastor when they he found out that I was playing Jesus, he was like, they always ask a white guy to play Jesus <laughs> yeah, every year. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, funny. Yeah. so that yeah, was the I qualification.
2: Was, I was baby Jesus, my first Christmas. So nice. hmm. I know.
1: Yeah. In the live nativity. Yeah, adorable baby Jesus.
2: <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, like two month old, three month old. Yeah. Anyway, so. Back to the topic at hand. Brandon, welcome to Camp Vermont.
0: Thank you so much. What an honor and a real privilege to be on here with uh, my favorite my favorite show and uh, my favorite people, some of my favorite people to know online. and it's uh, especially special to get to kind of I love these video chats and where we can see each other and kind of experience each other more personal. 'cause uh it's great to really get acquainted with you guys. Like you're to you're a great duo. I just uh, really think a lot of you both and uh just so thankful for this opportunity.
2: Oh, thank you so much. That's so yeah, it's yeah. really it's really crazy. Like I have such a hard time explaining this community to my, you know, my real life friends. Um but it's like it really is, you know, it feels like a like a church family or like a close knit friend group. Yeah. And some of us some of us have met in real life, some of us have some of us haven't yet. And like I honestly lose track sometimes of like who I have and haven't actually met because it feels like we know each other, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and even you guys, um, your show and your platform has uh, led me to make uh, more connections. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I went one time to Doug Hamp's church and he wasn't, uh, he was busy doing Krav Maga for his brown belt. So he wasn't there that week. And then I uh, went the following week. So I went last Saturday and got to uh, talk to him uh, in, in person for, you know, about 20 minutes or so before other people had questions and stuff. So I was like, okay, I better move on. He's a hot commodity around there. People want to pick his brain. But I just I just love that I got to, uh, you know, through you guys and hearing that episode that you had most recently of Doug Hamp. And I know you've had him on a couple times, but uh, I just it, it's been a real pleasure to get to have an opportunity to make these real life connections, too through this very show so
2: oh that's so cool. I love it you got to go to his church. I went to too.
0: yeah yeah it's it's it, he he definitely um, he's all about feeding his flock with uh, with some good stuff that a lot of other churches I mean this is why these communities have been started in my mind is seeing the lack of something within a church and that driving people to really start and, and begin these communities with one another engaging in these topics and, and uh, really kind of carrying the torch of people like Michael Heiser, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, Yeah, we definitely appreciate you. Our goal with Camp Ramon from the beginning has been to do what we've, what you've been describing, like to build community and build friendships. That's, that's literally what it's all about so that we can kind of support each other because this can be a lonely space to be in. And when I say space to be in, I mean, like, if you're into like the divine council worldview and cryptids and all that kind of crazy stuff that fits under the DCW umbrella or the DCW universe, as I like to call it, you know, a lot of friends and family, they they may not get it or understand it or, you know, think think we're a bunch of weirdos.
2: Yeah. Well, it's that, but also like being, um, well, I think this follows, you know, our worldview, but like being awake to what's happening in the world around us and like not wanting to participate in those things and saying like, no, I'm, (laughs) I'm going to say, no, I'm stepping back. I see this for what it is, which is like the enemy working in the world. Um, Like that can be a really lonely place too. So anyway, all these friendships are super special and important to us and really I mean, like carried me through like Jesus and these friendships like really got me through 2020, 2021, 2022.
0: So yeah, the world has been on a bizarre turn ever since uh, 2020, for sure. I mean, it's always been bizarre, but it's been on a rapid, rapid pace going on since, since that year. And uh, you know what, it's interesting because the rules of engagement are almost like changing right before our eyes. And therefore, it's almost like causing this unseen thing within us. Where, And that's God. I really believe it's God that's leading us to do these things. And, you know, you think of how we're really, we are in the end times. Ever since Jesus resurrected, he initiated the end days. We're in the last days. Uh, so we're actually pretty deep in the last days. If we're like two thousand years past Jesus dying and resurrecting, if you think about that. So um, you know, but the, it's it's fascinating to see like uh, you know our part to play in these last days. Um, and I'm not saying that it's three days away or or three months away, but uh, w- we we have a part to play in this, and uh, it's it's interesting to see how God is using that. Uh, using technology i mean people look at revelation and they couldn't really put a lot of things together in revelation until nowadays where um, even like with the two witnesses everyone around the world will view them and, and will rejoice at their death well now we can see that with these capabilities like you and us are using right now at this very moment to connect to one another is the very same capability that evil will use to be able to, uh, be a part, uh, a participant in these, um, events. And, uh, but it's cool to see how God is using this technology like this, where it's still a good thing. It can still be used to unite people, to bring people together. And I think that that blend of finally finding the niche, you guys have been part of finding the niche of how to have a proper relationship with technology where it isn't isolating us. I mean, I know that it can get a little lonely in the circle sometimes, but it feels like uh, social media and all that stuff, we are now kind of seeing through uh, movements like this, like Camp Vermont, where, you know, it's, it's bringing personal relationships back into the picture. It actually gives us a greater chance to make more relationships. So, you know, it's just cool to see this kind of becoming an active living thing as it's going on, you know, and being a part of it. Fascinating.
2: Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We love it too. Um, Brandon, we're we're really excited to hear more of your story. So um, I don't really know where you want to start, but I mean, you can just tell us a little bit about yourself, your faith, and then, you know, we'll just dive in as Chris likes to say, we're going to let you drive the bus. So
0: you got it. Um, All right. So, yeah, so I'm Brandon Beal, as I was so well introduced by both Chris and Tori. I mean, I can't, I can't match that. Um, I will let that just sit. Uh, But uh, I definitely, um, I've known God for a long time in my life. I I grew up in Spokane, Washington. That's where I was born and raised uh, in my life. And so I grew up um, very quickly uh, just In the back of my mind, always feeling this presence kind of hovering above me, kind of following me through my life. I felt um, as soon as I could start having some sort of awareness uh, of myself, um, I started feeling this active presence a part of my life. And it made sense that I was born into a Christian family. My mom, she... um, She was, she had me when she was uh, 21. So she was pregnant with me, you know, going back into um, uh, 19, 20, whatnot. And so she had me at a young age, but she had her very Christian parents, (laughs) um, you know, just not that far away in Spokane. And so I grew up, um, she would go to work. I would go over to my grandparents for the day and then she would pick me back up or whatnot. So I grew up around them and they very quickly latched onto me and uh, in a good way and were instructing me in the Bible. As soon as I could just even hear, I didn't even know what I was hearing, but I was, yeah, you know, they were just uh, cradling me and reading to me the Bible um, a lot. And, uh, and then my grandfather, you know, he, I was the son that he was always wishing for. He never had a son and he really wanted a son. So he really like took off with it and wanted to start really developing me and raising me to understand worldview. Uh, he took me through worldview training um, and he of course was immersing me in the Bible and all of that. But I, I mentioned about what I was feeling beforehand because that was really what started it all is that I just as a child, I just instinctively knew that there was more to this life, that there was something watching me and it felt good. It felt good that it was watching me. It felt, um, freeing. And so I always felt that, that connection to God in that way. And, and so I think that's what made me accept and more readily accept, you know, my grandparents just kind of immersing me in the Bible and all that and telling me about God. It was like, I was actually more interested in it because I had that natural instinct. So God blessed me through that when I was born to kind of, kind of know that. And, and so, you know, that kind of goes into the whole fact that, you know, my life has, I would always describe it as always been a little bit offbeat and a little bit strange. I've never, uh, you know, my mom and I, when she was young um she we lived i mentioned like you know probably 15 minutes away from my grandparents in spokane and the difference the radical difference of where i was living with my mom versus where my grandparents lived and going back and forth between that 15 minute span of distance was just like two different worlds so when i was when i was raised with my mom uh, and I love my mom. She's, she's my best friend. She was really, uh, she was, she really helped me feel natural in the weirdness of life and, and just, uh, being a good friend. So, but I always felt protected by her, but we lived in this area of Spokane called uh, Hilliard and it's a railroad area where all the railroad business was going on and, uh, just trains going through and stuff like that. So a uh, area where a lot of that is going on. And, uh, And there was just a lot of drugs, uh, gang activity, um, different things going on in that area that I was witness to and grew up like just understanding. And then 15 minutes away, we got the neighborhood watchers at my grandparents' house. And it's a nice, neat neighborhood and good neighbors and good community and all that. Um, so I had a, I had a radical experience of two different worlds growing up, and, uh, and I think I got the best of both worlds because I think that the world that I grew up in with my mom really uh, kind of helped me understand um, just the overall hardness of life and that, you know, seeing people struggle and still caring for those people and not being disconnected with people making some really bad choices, some really scary choices and all that. And then going like 15 minutes away to my grandparents who really exuded like the, the overall marriage, the ideal marriage, you know, been married for a long time, very strong Christians and going to church and that healthiness. So that's kind of a little bit of a quick backdrop of, of me and kind of growing up. So,
1: so Brandon, you've mentioned that you've had a, a number of kind of spiritual supernatural encounters. Did those start in your childhood or did you have those experiences later on in your life?
0: Yeah, no, they definitely started in my childhood. Definitely. Um, Even before I could comprehend that they were happening, my mom was witness to these things happening as I was a toddler. So she got to see some things and uh yeah definitely started when i was a child and has followed me all the way through for sure spiritual experiences of different degrees for sure
1: so tell me about the the crib incident
0: yeah absolutely um you know first off i mean actually i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to go right to that but i'm going <laughs> to instead of going right to that i'm going to start with this too is that you know, my mom. I, I've noticed that. You know, with people who have the eyes to see supernatural things in life, to see the supernatural, and to be inclined towards understanding that it's a real thing, um, these people who have the eyes to see it that way, I have often associated as people who have been close to death. That death has been close to them. That they've had close encounters to death, and that 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 has kind of initiated them into having this kind of one foot in the physical and one foot in the spiritual experience in life. Uh, So many people who have uh, eyes to see the supernatural, I find, have had some situation in life that um, was like a close call to dying or anything like that. And so, for example, my mom was really that because when she was a toddler, when she was newly born, she actually died. She, uh, She did fully die. And my grandmother testifies to this. She has photographic evidence of it. Uh, she recently came and visited us months ago and uh, showed the very picture where she was holding my mom as a now alive baby in front of the whole church congregation. And uh, what happened was that my mom stopped breathing and, uh, and t- turned completely blue, had no breathing in her. And all that my grandparents could figure to do their very first place to go was the church. So they ran my mom and I believe it was uh Calvary church in California, actually kind of where the whole Jesus movement started, but they, uh, they ran my mom to the church and the church uh, was in session. It was going on and the pre- pastor was up there on the stage and they come busting through the doors and they're just, pleading for help that that she needs to be prayed over that they need to pray over her she's dead I mean at this point she had been not breathing for I'm sure at least like 20 to 30 minutes so um, it had been going on for some time and uh, they laid their hands on my mom the congregation did and they prayed over her and she was brought back to life she just started breathing again blood flow started coming back all of that And uh, so that happened at a very early age. She, in fact, when she was born, she had the umbilical cord like wrapped around her neck, strangling her. So there were like a couple times that my mom was just like on the verge of being taken out before she could even think. And uh, so you know, I noticed that it starts with my mom in that way because then when she was uh, when she was about five years old she uh said that the her, her one of her earliest memories was the devil appearing to her and telling her that you're mine he He told my mom you're mine and uh and so my mom grew up with that in mind and it it kind of it it caused a lot of um nervousness in her growing up especially in a christian family uh with you know everyone christian around her she felt like the black sheep and she never felt any allegiance to satan she never felt close to him she felt him repulsive but she uh she it twisted her it made her confused on her identity because you know here's this thing that comes out of nowhere when you're at such a young age telling you that and and you know it's darkness so when you hear that 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 just messes with you and so god bless my mom because she really she really tackled a lot growing up a lot of insecurity a lot of doubt a lot of um you know voices telling her the wrong things and yet she worked through it and and she um so you know she uh she ended up um having me she had me as an unexpected pregnancy of course and uh and my um you know, that, that kind of happened in a, in a certain way. But uh, regardless, she, she got pregnant with me, and she was very close to having me aborted. She, um, she made scheduled the uh, meeting and was there in the lobby awaiting um, kind of to go forward with the procedure. And that's when God came to her, and uh, he appeared to my mom. And she remembers having this amazing experience, this encounter with his spirit. And he comes to her and he says, you will not do this. He is mine. And he is also my biggest gift to you. You will not do this. And, uh, so my mom just up and left. She got right out of there and decided to go through with. Having me. And uh, that came with a lot of criticism in the church that they were in at the time in Spokane. Uh, by the time I was born, this church was very cultish. It, it degenerated into very cultish mindsets. And so they were very controlling. And they, they, in fact, had a they had a master's commission that was really a part of creating relationships within the church saying who is with who and all that. And so she encountered a lot of uh, hostility towards that. And and it even came through sometimes in her own dad, because, you know, he was just confused by it. He thought this is not the way it should happen. This is not the way it should be. And, uh, and he didn't think it to be a good thing. And then I was born and I was born directly into his hands. And uh, I have a picture of it. And he's just looking at me. And it was like, that was enough said. He was done after that. He's like, how could I call this an evil thing? How could I call this a bad thing? And uh, so, it, it uh, you know, that's kind of how I came. And, and that matters to this point. But this leads right up to that very moment that you're talking, Chris, is uh, I trust my mom. I completely believe my mom. I know that she uh, never just tells like little tales just to make it sound good. She really has seen this stuff and encountered it. So when she tells me of something she sees, I take it seriously. And so um, it was only because I saw this figure when I was about eight years old that she actually first told me this story. And what this story is, is that she was living down in my grandparents' basement in Spokane at the time, being so young, in her tw- early 20s and uh, and uh, just struggling to get on her feet and all that. She's living in my grandparents' basement. They have a nice finished basement. And she's uh, sleeping in bed, and I'm in a crib right next to her. And as she's sleeping, she wakes up hearing creaking down the stairs. Um, she hears these footsteps coming down the stairs. This is kind of interesting because she's hearing these footsteps coming down as if someone is really walking down physically down the stairs. And so she opens her eyes, she cracks open her eyes, she starts kind of looking and all of a sudden she sees this black cloaked figure that is now just hovering slightly over towards my crib, over towards me. And so, you know, here it is making footsteps sounds down the stairs, but then all of a sudden you don't hear anything. And in fact, she remembers seeing it just glide. It was like barely hovering above the ground and just com- coming over to me. And she, um, she was paralyzed at this moment. She uh, had like a sleep paralysis uh, moment happen, where all of a sudden it was like, she was locked in place. And she was like, she re- all of her motherly instinct was wanting to just come out. And she wanted to like, Proclaim against it, speak out against it, get that thing away from my son, you know, whatever. But she couldn't. Her voice was shut down and she couldn't hardly move. And she was just frozen in place. And as, and she's just watching. Now she just has to watch this thing helplessly. And, and she watches it come up to my crib and it slightly seems to be kind of looking over my crib a little bit, just looking over. And it then just shoots right into my crib. This thing just shoots right into my crib. And she said that it was in there for about three seconds uh, before it shot right back out of my crib. And it now transforms into this um, phantom-like snake, dissipating snake, that starts slithering its way across the floor where it came from. It starts slithering back the way it came, but... Not going up the stairs, it goes right out the window. The window well that is right to the side of uh, the stairs, so it just kind of slithers away and goes right out the window. So that was uh, that was my crib experience.
2: Wow, you know, okay, I haven't I haven't heard a story exactly like that, but like I have heard so many stories about like spiritual attacks happening to babies in cribs, you know, or toddlers you know who can like speak or basically just like little vulnerable kids in their cribs like seeing something in their room or um actually kind of have a crib story too which we'll say for another time but wow anyway that's just so crazy and so like disgusting that the enemy you know would like (laughs) go after and of course you know like we see in the bible like the attack of babies you know yeah trying to take out moses trying to take out jesus trying to take out you know so yeah. yeah
0: Absolutely. Good point. Think, yeah. It's, uh, Oh, I'm sorry.
1: No, I was just going to say, I think Tori, we, we do want to hear your crib story if it's similar, yeah. not very similar, but, but relevant.
2: Well, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's like not as obvious, but it's a story my mom tells and it's basically just, there were no like shadow figures. It was actually a Mylar balloon. It was a Mylar Big bird balloon. I was a huge big bird fan. (laughs) So this is when when I was born, and when I was, well, until I was like four years old, we lived in Georgia. And our house down there, basically, this balloon hung out in our like playroom, which was like completely down the hall in the other direction from my room where my crib was. And like the door is usually shut. So without knowing the layout of the house, it's kind of hard for you guys to picture this. But basically, like I was in my room with the door shut or like just barely cracked napping, you know, like not old enough to talk yet. The Mylar balloon, you know, lives like all the way down the hallway in another room where like the door shut or whatever. And so anyway, I'm napping. And my mom wakes up to me just like screaming on the baby monitor and she runs up there and this Mylar big bird balloon that was nowhere near my room was hovering like basically right over my face, um, like in my crib. And so it's kind of this, like, how did this <laughs> balloon get in here? You know? And it was a balloon, not like a dark shadow, which seems a lot more obviously spiritual. But like, anyway, it was just kind of like, there's no reason that that balloon should have gotten in there, even with like airflow or like an AC unit or whatever, you know, cause it had like a little, anyway. So that was, that was my crib story, but yeah.
1: No, that's, I think Brandon may may or may not agree. That's equally as creepy because a balloon isn't going to just float from one room in, down a hall into your room and then hover over you as a child. So
2: exactly. Like right over my face, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that kind of strikes me because that's like, um, using a innocent like, uh, thing, a uh, material object, a seemingly innocent thing often associated with children. You know, you think balloons, you think toys, you think these things. And so You know, just like you were saying, Tori, about, you know, the relation to dark entities kind of trying to twist children before they can even comprehend things. It's like they also use innocent things in a sinister way to they they love to pervert the natural order of whatever something is so. You know, a balloon or, or these toys, a kid's toy is innocent and fun and it's it kids associated it as something just enjoyable. So, of course, demonic entities will also use those very things to kind of intimidate or bring fear because they want you to associate those things now with fear instead of fun, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, it didn't work. I still love balloons. So <laughs> perfect. <laughs> That's, um, the way. That's the way. Yeah, Take that just,
1: kingdom of darkness. Yeah,
2: take yeah. that. I'm all perfect. right with Big Bird too. But um <laughs> Yeah, you know, I just like my heart really goes out to all the parents out there though. Cause I'm like, I can I cannot even imagine like the level of vigilance and just having to be so on high alert like all day, every day, because like for watching a little babies, because it's like, there are physical things that can harm them, there are spiritual things, there are spiritual things that can move physical things to harm them, you know, so I'm like, sometimes I'm, I'm just like, I don't know how y'all do it. But like,
0: then there's yeah. even the political things that are trying to uh, influence them too. like, oh, yeah. everything is trying to get into the minds and hearts of children. So yeah, I mean, this is high time for any parents. And I, I feel the same way. I definitely am praying for parents a lot and kids because it's a it's a heavy world for them
2: right i know and like surely it's always been hard you know but i I feel like this has to be like the hardest time probably to be to be a parent you know and to try to like explain all of the things going just whenever i think about it whenever i think like could i ever even be a parent i'm like yes but i would have to raise them amish like (laughs) i just have to (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't know how to do that, but I'm going to be yep. one of those. Like, yeah. Take like, them I know. to the
0: woods. Yep.
2: Exactly. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Like we're going to do this old school. So, <laughs> uh,
1: so Brandon, your mom saw it, you were in a crib and you said you saw this thing when you were, you say you were eight years old?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and this is, this is kind of one of my quicker experiences um, uh, to talk about is just that, I was sleeping in bed and suddenly one night I just opened my eyes and I'm looking out into the living room and I see that black, that very black sh- figure standing out there in the living room, right in the middle of the living room, just looking my direction. And, uh, you know, again, you can't see it. I couldn't see any face. Uh, some people have reported red eyes, stuff like that. I didn't see nothing but just blackness. And then just the cloak, you could see definitely the hood, the front of the hood. Um, But I I freaked out when I saw that thing. I just randomly opened my eyes. It kind of like awoke me. And as soon as I saw that at eight years old, I just pull my covers right over me. And I just start praying to Jesus. I'm like, come on, Jesus, please, please help me here. Please help me. And I kind of got the nerve to start slowly pulling down my blanket to check on it and see what it was doing and it was gone um so that was a very rapid experience of it kind of flashing at me and revealing itself to me at an age that i could properly understand it um and that was the experience that i told my mom about at the time you know she she raised me to really be honest and upfront with her to come as she like would talk to me about my own dad like my my um biological father and she was like trying to help run this through with me like are you sure Brandon that you don't want him in in your life at this time and like she was trying to involve me you know she didn't want me to feel like she was just forcing these things on me and so at a young age I got really acquainted with just telling my mom things and so I told her of that experience at the time and she had one of those moments where when you're telling someone about something and they give the look like They know exactly what you're talking about. And they are like, oh, man, now the cat is out of the bag. I guess I got to engage with him on this um, subject. And so that's when she told me of this crib story. She said, well, you know, Brandon, you've and she never told me it until that time because she wanted to make sure that this was just not by some happenstance, something on just her end, that it was just something that she saw. And, and I never experienced it myself. So once she, I experienced it, then she felt safe to give me the lowdown on that at eight years old. I got to hear of that the first time, and I was like, wow, that's, that's something. Yeah, and so, you know, basically, my life has been kind of, you know, within these events, it just highlights to me during this time, especially with the episodes that you guys have had lately and all that, that that spiritual warfare is just such a, such a crucial element to this. You know, it's like, once you get, you actually start encountering this stuff, then you realize that maybe God is trying to teach you how to teach you something through it. Maybe he's having you experience these dark things for a reason. And, and so, you know, I, I was going to start out with this in the beginning, but I think this is a great place to, to say, uh, Michael Heiser's quote here because here we are, Camp Hermon. But, uh, you know, his quote from his documentary of demons on YouTube, which is like 45 minutes, uh, which is great. But, uh, you know, uh, his quote here, I love it spiritual warfare is the growth of the kingdom of God and the diminishing of evil. And that way, and the way that that's accomplished is by telling the truth. Uh, you speak truth to lies. And, uh, so, so spiritual warfare is the growth of the kingdom of God. And, and the only way that we grow this kingdom is by telling truth and speaking truth to the lies itself. And so, you know, even me sharing on like my mom's upbringing a little bit and kind of the way that I was brought into this world where it was just unexpected. I almost went through, uh, I was almost an abortion, um, that kind of thing. It's like these are the this is the bedrock that spiritual forces work at they they work off of this stuff and they work to spread lies through these very encounters through these things they're often pointing to a lie so you know when my mom had me at a young age in a christian community lies already started coming into her you know started telling her you know if feeling her with pressure and, and, and that, oh man, you're, you're going to be better off and everyone's going to be better around you. If you just, you just get rid of them, just, just get rid of it. You know, it's just a fetus. Um, You know, these lies start through these moments of insecurity through uh, close encounters with death. Um, because then if you have a close encounter with death, these spiritual forces tell you that your, uh, your, um, lay, or your destiny is to just die. Um, you know, different things like that is where I find that the lies start trying to uh, find themselves within your own experiences. And, uh, you know, so always I, I think about when I'm going through any experience, you know, kind of like the scripture talks about testing the spirits. and and testing where, where do these messages come from? You know, if I'm encountering this, what is it communicating to me? What is it trying to do within my moment that I'm encountering it and and trying to work against um, letting those lies take root in you through these terrifying experiences at the time, you know?
2: Yeah, I think that is such an incredible quote. And like, that's so profound that that spiritual warfare is speaking truth to lies, you know.
0: Yeah, which is exactly what your post was. I mean, I, I again, I love that Brandon brought that up, and 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 well, forgive me, I love that Chris uh, laid out the the post itself and and read of that post of yours because that was it goes right in hand with this too. Is this this is really where spiritual warfare is? It's not it's not some movie as much as it can almost be like a movie.
2: Right. It's, I don't know. It's simple. Like a couple episodes ago, it's, it's simple. It's being, it's being the light in the darkness. It's combating lies with the truth. It's just, I mean, yeah, like Jesus is the light of the world. He's the way, the truth, the life, you know? So we just like speak the truth and it's, it's going to cut the darkness, you know?
0: Absolutely. It takes all its power away because it just, It just really thrives on you being a sucker for its lie. Just really, that's the only power it has over you is its power to convince you that it's right when it's really wrong. Um, and, uh, that's the other thing about spiritual warfare too, in listening to that demons documentary from Heiser, um, he actually said something within the very beginning of it that was exactly what I uh, was wanting to jot down as a note to bring into this, is that another aspect of spiritual warfare is that it's deeply personal. It, it's personal in the experience of it, especially when understanding it through your, uh, for yourself through the encounter. And so spiritual warfare is not something that we can just like, we can't just do broad brush strokes and we can't just say all oh, th- th- you th- treat it procedurally. Uh, there is a, a certain amount of tackling it through, uh, s- some sort of system that I would say Jesus laid out. But other than that, it's a deeply personal experience. And so you don't really understand spiritual warfare. or You won't get a real understanding unless if you really encounter that for yourself. And, uh, when you get to encounter it through your very thoughts and through the very temptations that come through to you or the even just discovering how bad we can be we can be pretty twisted individuals even the best of us you know we all are inherently we have evil within us to a degree and uh and so it's a personal experience you know and uh yeah it's just You know, the thing, um, also that basically, um, you know, after, after encountering this entity, um, you know, for myself at about eight years old, uh, it was probably, I was 12 years old at the time. So four years later, after encountering that entity, I have to, I have to before anything is, uh, It said more, I have to bring up my UFO experience too, um, because there's some things on that too. Uh, But I, um, I was with my best friend at the time and uh, in Spokane and uh, he was out in the countryside. He was on like 45 acres of land. And uh, you know, I just, I met him at nine years old. So only a year later after seeing that entity, uh, for myself. And I met him at nine and then was friends with him since. Uh, and then, you know, um, anyway, so I, I would go out to his house on the weekends and, uh, this one weekend in particular, uh, in 2004, uh, 12 years old, both of us were 12. Um, I go out there and we, during the summer nights, we would like throw out a bunch of pillows and blankets onto his trampoline and we would sleep out on the trampoline, uh, overnight and his dogs would join us. They would protect us. You know, they were always like on guard for us and watching over us and stuff. So we had fun, like just, you know, sleeping on the trampoline. It was the cool thing to do. And, uh, so (laughs) this one night we're, uh, 12 years old, mind you. And we're talking about the 2004 election with John Kerry and George Bush, I can remember this vividly. We were both like, you know, he's a very skeptical guy, uh, already at 12 years old, very skeptical, very skeptical in in his uh the way he would think of things and i was more like i was just a deep thinker all the time i just wanted to talk about stuff that is not natural for a 12 year old to want to talk about so i wanted to tell him why uh john Kerry was not the right move because of his views on abortion and he was telling me you know he's like well you know because this came from a personal experience you know so maybe, yeah i feel for a for a certain reason. But uh, he was telling me why, you know, John Perry is the guy and all this and that. And we had no idea what we were talking about. But still, we acted like it. So uh, anyway, we're looking out to the sky as we're talking about this um, very thing. And we're looking specifically right at whether this matters or not. We're looking and specifically looking towards Orion's belt. And, uh, I just always admired Orion's belt because as a kid, I just always looked at it like it was almost a tree. It was almost a complete like little tree in a way. And so I was always kind of just looking at that. So we're looking at this one summer night as we're talking and just as we're talking, you know, mind you from the trampoline, uh, about 150 feet away is his tree line where all the forest starts and so it's just this whole border of trees uh, and we're just right in this wide open area of his backyard on the trampoline and so right above the trees as we're talking out of nowhere this disc just appears right above the trees and it, it just like like it got unveiled it just all of a sudden it wasn't there and it was there we were looking right in that direction the whole time and we caught it right at the moment that it just suddenly appeared and this disc i I, we could tell that it was a disc because it had these golden lights wrapped around all uh, wrapped around the whole border of the outside of it so it, it really gave off the the shape of a of a disc uh uh, these traditional UFO uh, uh, you know, uh images. And so um, and from the bottom of this was a golden light source coming from the bottom of it. It was like, it was almost like uh it well it lit up. It lit up the bottom. But it almost looked like the energy that was coming from this craft and it was coming from underneath and it was this golden like kind of thing. Um and that's all we could see because the light kind of outline some of it toward, uh, to us. And I, I could tell that there was a little, there was a little top part to it, I guess, but either way it was hovering above the trees and we just were stunned. We were left in silence. We we were just, we stopped talking about John Kerry and George Bush. We didn't care anymore. We, we didn't <laughs> care. We're like, what is this going on? And I, I bring up that he is such a skeptic because he has a hard time believing even something that is like right in front of him. He would question it and because he wants to make sure that he's really seeing what he's seeing. And so we were like joking somewhat. We like still have the nerve to like rub each other's eyes. We were like trying <laughs> to rub each other's eyes, you know, as we're like staring at it, he's jabbing his knuckles into my eyes. I'm like trying to get <laughs> back at him. I'm like, I don't know if this helps us see it any more clearly, but we definitely, you know, in in that mess of trying to, like, just act out something that will convince us that this is real. It was still hovering there. And this thing had no sound to it. It also, we could see because it lit up kind of the top of the trees because of that glow coming from underneath it we were looking we started looking at the tops of the trees to see if it was actually causing them to move at all if it was creating any sort of force or wind and nothing the trees were standstill it's just hovering there like it's watching us and the whole time that we started looking at this thing and trying to study it we felt like we were being uh almost like pulled by it it was it it seemed to have this real intense allure or energy towards us. And like, it was almost beaming it towards our direction. So we kind of felt like we were getting a little bit tugged, but we were just staying locked in place. Um, And so then ever so slowly after a little bit of time, I would say it probably was hovering there above the tree line for about Gosh, I mean, it felt like forever, but it could have been 30 seconds to a minute. Um, And then it started just slowly lowering itself behind the trees like it was landing. And uh, and so it disappeared out of view, but just lowered itself behind the trees. And my friend Daniel, he looks at me and he's like, dude, do you want to go like check that out right now? You want to go see? And I'm like no uh, absolutely not (laughs) like let's let's uh let's go inside let's go sleep in your room and we'll go look in the morning and he's like all right and uh and so then we looked the following morning and we we looked right in the area we thought it would have landed and we found no trace of anything no prints nothing no burning burnings of it landing or anything like that so um that was uh that was our my up-close UFO encounter. And I thought that was special to have it with a friend like that who he would testify to it today. But uh, you know, as of lately, when I've tried to talk to him about that thing, like he uh he he doesn't he's not so inclined. It seems like he doesn't want to entertain the thought of it. Like I don't know what really happened that night, but I do believe we were protected.
1: It sounds like it was trying to lure you into the woods, yeah. From the feeling you were having to it, to it looking like it was landing, and even your friend wanting to go check it out. I yeah. I think if if you had gone in those woods, you you guys you may have disappeared.
0: Yeah, we may have been gone. I agree. I agree, and I think it even was uh, influencing my friend. Uh, yeah, yeah, through even his skepticism. I think that he has to have so much evidence for something that he can't just like rest in it. So he was like restless and wanted to go see it that moment. He wanted to see, this is our chance to see what this is. And so, you know, I think it was almost even playing off of that with him, his natural instinct to be skeptical, to kind of drive him to want to see that. And I do remember being pretty um, forceful in my, in my tone towards him, like, urging him nope nope it's uh let's go in let's go in right now and stuff like that and he kind of tentatively followed me you know back into his house and i'm thankful that i didn't didn't put up with that because yeah it did it had this strange pull effect on it and uh i remember feeling that and feeling you know at 12 years old my first thought was after that experience i thought to myself what was on the other side of that craft looking at us what was looking at us because we're two boys laying out in this tramp lane right out in the middle of this bare area of his backyard. And it's not interested in anything else, but just staying stationary right there. So it had to be watching us. And what was it that was watching us? That blew my mind at 12 years old. That started everything for me as far as like really getting into um, understanding this stuff for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you had any UFO sightings or encounters since then?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, um, I've had I, I've had some that I thought were UFOs. I saw a blue twirling orb, like not far from me, as I was driving on a highway in California with some friends in a van, and I. They're all sleeping except for the driver, and the driver didn't catch it. And I didn't want to say anything, but I look over to my uh, my left, and I see this blue orb of light, like dancing and twirling in the sky, and going all sorts of patterns and stuff. And I thought, oh man, that's another UFO experience. And I later, researched ball lightning, and and conclude that I think that's what I saw was ball lightning. But as far as UFOs, um, since then, I have I have seen. Um, I've seen UFOs around here in Colorado a lot uh, just during the day, um, which is something different uh, for me. And uh, I've been noticing these metallic um, orbs flying through in the sky and they're going like a straight pattern. They're going from East to West usually. And uh, I'm, I'm, I've, I've just been noticing them as I watch uh, walk the dogs, you know, I just look up in the sky as I'm walking along and all of a sudden, you know, uh, I'm seeing these things flying through the air. So I definitely seen them like, like that, but nothing, nothing that vivid or that like up close. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I was uh, tested on with Facebook was uh, a, a guy that was talking to me, told me, he's like, well, why don't you take some slow motion videos of the sky? And I said, well, yeah, you're right. I should probably get on that. You know, I just... It's like, you know, you get so used to encountering bizarre things and seeing them so often uh, that, like, it's it's still shocking, but you just kind of want to sit back and just watch it. You're you're not like, oh, I got to film this thing right now. But I now at this point, I'm like, you know what? Now that I'm seeing these things flying through the air, like almost on a daily basis during the day, then I probably should try and get some good video of it.
2: Well, it's almost like you just need to wear a GoPro or something. Cause I think about that, like when I'm having, when I'm having like a really good time with my friends or, you know, like having a really awesome conversation with someone and like living in the moment and never think to like get a picture. And then afterwards I'm like, ah, I wish I got a picture, you know? So I'm like, well, it makes sense. Uh, You know, like you're, I don't know, especially it happens to people like out in nature. Like, I don't know. I mean, it happens wherever, but I feel like if you're ever going to be like truly in the moment, it's going to be when you like see something ridiculous, like you're going to forget about everything else. And you're just like, always, always. oh, there's a giant disc above my head. Like, am I, about oh. to sucked- hmm. am I about to be sucked off this trampoline? Like what's about to, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So anyway, it's yeah. like from an outsider perspective, it's easy to be like, why didn't you take a picture? But it's like, I don't know. Oh. I didn't, I never take, you know, Gosh. when I'm in the moment, I never take a picture. So you just need to I like, just, re-
0: yeah.
2: just, have a- just have a GoPro on all the time. <laughs>
0: I know I should just have one strapped to me uh, knowing me with my uh, inclination towards seeing these things, you know, it's like one of these days, I'm bound to capture something. If I just have this big old GoPro, just like resting from my body looking outward. But uh, you know, like uh, I wish, I wish that I had the phone I have now back in 2004. That's what I really wish, you know, Uh, good God. If I could have been on that trampoline and had the phone that I have right now, I could have easily gotten one of the best pictures, a non-blurry picture. I may have been able to actually capture a non-blurry picture, but no, I didn't. So you know, (laughs) anyway, it's
2: all right. Two thousand four. We had other things going on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we had uh, we had an election going on that year. You know, (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, I just, you know, have you guys seen the movie? um, Have you seen the movie Blade? Wesley Snipes? All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, you've seen it. Okay. Well, that movie for me, that's like, that was a childhood favorite of mine. I I actually saw that one in The Matrix when I was both, well, I guess I saw The Matrix when I was seven, I suppose. And then I saw Blade when I was eight. Those were the two first R-rated movies that my mom let me watch. And uh, with Blade, you know, the opening scene, uh, you've seen it, Chris. So I think you remember is uh is the vampire club scene where you got um you got a club filled with vampires and this woman who's a vampire leads this man just a typical guy off the streets to come with her to the club and she and he's all excited he's like oh yeah we're about to party and all this and that and she uh, lures him in and uh into the club and then he finds out that he's surrounded by vampires in this club when blood starts pouring out of the overhead sprinklers. We got blood hooked up where it's a bloodbath. They called it bloodbath. And uh, so everyone's getting bathed in blood. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing vampire fangs coming out of the people. You start seeing their eyes change. All of a sudden, their whole demeanor changes. And this guy gets freaked out. And he falls on the ground smeared with blood and he falls on the ground and he's desperately trying to crawl as they're like terrorizing him. They're, they're just trying to, you know, get him extra fearful before they uh, do what they're going to do and transitioning him to a vampire. And, uh, and right at that moment, all of a sudden it's like that epic scene where all of a sudden you see that black boot just standing right there. He comes crawling up to this black boot and he looks up and it's blade and he's there with swords and stuff like that. And he's ready to go. Um, and uh, and he starts slicing and dicing those vampires. Uh, I bring Blade up because, you know, Blade is an interesting character because his mom, his mom in, in the beginning of the movie, before that scene, actually, it shows his mom being rushed to the hospital. She's dying from blood loss um, because she got bit by a vampire. And and so she's dying, but she gives birth, and she does end up living because she becomes a vampire now. But she uh, gives birth to Blade, and so now he's half he's a half vampire, half human. And uh, and um, interestingly enough, they nickname him Daywalker in the movie, um, which brings to mind a certain scripture. But uh, regardless you know, Blade is this half-human, half-vampire. He becomes a half-vampire, not by his own desire. Neither did his mom. His mom came through an experience of getting terrorized, and she becomes an unwilling participant within this hood, if you want to call it that. And so does he. But instead of going the way of what he was then initiated into, Blade rebels against the very nature that is half of him that makes up his identity and he ends up being uh, a rebel against the vampires going against them fighting against them protecting other humans from these vampires and so I I bring up that point because um, that along with the UFO experience uh, as far as how spiritual darkness is I relate it to an angler fish which are those fish deep down in the ocean in the dark that have the orbs of light that that stick up above their head and and they kind of angle downward and that false light lures in other fish and other creatures towards the path of this monster behind this light is this fish with these nasty teeth and big old chompers and it's just waiting for you to come right into its uh into its vicinity so it can just clamp down on you and uh and so i relate um spiritual darkness to that spiritual entities they have this allure allurement to them they they do try to get you fascinated with them they reach out towards you and and they do it through this false light you think initially it's a good thing or it's like with the ufo thing the way it was pulling my friend and i it felt weird and strange but it felt oddly comfortable and then also you know even in relation to that blade scene this guy is is seeing a good time happening if he says yes to this he's going to just have a simple good time and yet he realizes oh god i'm in the pits of hell essentially Because of just being led by this idea that I'm going towards this, this light, this, this thing that's promising me a good time turns out to be the very opposite thing. So I think that's how I kind of related those two things. And also Blade kind of became my uh, hero growing up as a boy. I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to do something like that.
2: love it. I want to watch it now.
0: Yeah, yeah, sorry for spoiling the opener, but at least it was just the opener, but yeah there's no real spoiling that you 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 watch it and it's epic, and I can't describe that, so anyway, worth watching yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I I definitely the thing with my spiritual experiences is that like, you know, there was definitely there's definitely a, a false light within it. Uh, there always is. And uh, yeah, it's one thing to have these things like appearing to you and being terrifying at first. Um, but, you know, it's another thing when these things like start embedding themselves within your own thought patterns, your own uh what you think are your thoughts, what you think are your ideas. A lot of people um, tend to think that everything they think is their own thoughts. And uh, I come to find out that uh, not all of our thoughts are really from us. Um, they come from elsewhere. Yeah, and uh, sure, a lot of our thoughts are us. But, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of these things um, play off of our ideas about life in general. And when we are lacking in certain experiences, that's when these things really try to come across as like, hey, I, I know something. I, I know you. I know how to, uh, where you're supposed to go. I I know what you're supposed to do. And then you kind of, you're like, okay, if, if you're not deeply rooted in who you are and you don't quite understand yourself, then you're more susceptible to the manipulation of, of these supernatural forces.
2: Oh, man, that's so okay. Hold on. I'm looking at this verse. I need to have like a better topical search here. Um, Maybe you guys know the verse. It's in Proverbs, but I'll have to find it. Basically, like in a man's heart, he thinks he knows which way is right, but like in the end, it leads to death, you know, and then obviously the verse we all know, um, like the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can understand it
0: that's a huge thing, especially in, in, uh, uh, today's world where a lot of the messaging coming through tells us to follow our hearts. It's very opposite.
2: Yeah. Oh, I found it. Okay. The first one, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Um, this is Proverbs 16. Oh, here it is. Proverbs sixteen twenty five. but there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death.
1: Yeah. I mean that, that, is that opening scene that Brandon was talking about, you know, that guy, the way seemed right to him party. He's probably thinking about, you know, maybe sex with the the woman that brought him there Um, partying, you know, all that fun that seemed right to him. Otherwise he wouldn't have done it. Right. But yeah, had blade not showed up, it would have led to death. And I think it's interesting when we talk about vampires, Think about how demons and fallen ones, whatever other entities there are that are out there, um, they're like they're very vampiric, mm-hmm. and and I think in and I'm I I want to say the Book of Enoch even uh, addresses this the cannibalism back in the day, so they were you know literal literally vampiric you know feasting on on blood and, and flesh, but now in their disembodied state, it's a spiritual kind of vampirism where they're trying, they're feeding on our, our fear and anxiety and, and those things. And I just find that so fascinating. And when you all were talking about uh, that quote that you read by, you know, Heiser about spiritual warfare, Uh, speaking truth to lies, I couldn't help but think about the term ants, automatic negative thoughts. And I was just thinking about how demonic that is, I think in two ways. One, Brandon, you mentioned it, how, you know, However it happens, the mechanisms, I'm not sure, but there is a mind-to-mind communication that these entities are able to have with us, and they're trying to, you know, implant thoughts uh, to influence us. And then I think there's conditioning to where eventually we are doing it. Yes. Through... Those neural pathways that get kind of created in our brain, yeah. those behaviors and ways of thinking. And so one aspect of spiritual warfare that we can operate in just in our own lives is like you said, speaking truth to lies. When we have those negative thoughts that come in um, that, you know, tell us, you know, whatever, you, you know, you name it, whatever your insecurities are, that you're a terrible person, that you'll never amount to anything, whatever, you know, you. Or I'm bad sure things
2: about other people
1: or bad things about other people that speaking truth to lies, like, no, 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 no. Like first recognizing those, because it's, it's something that we have to build a discipline for, right? First recognize what's happening. Okay. Like these are lies, whether it's, a demon or fallen one interacting with me trying to implant those, or it's, it's a repeated behavior, pattern behavior of, of thinking. You have to recognize that that's what's happening. And then to be able to speak to that, you got to be in your Bible. Like, no, what does the Lord say about me? Or what does the Lord say about the other person
2: That's exactly what I was about to say, Chris, like tying it in also, Brandon, to what you said when we opened up about like the world we're in and how hard it would be to raise children in this. Um, So the other verse that I was referencing is Jeremiah 17, nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. So it's like, whether it is our own hearts, like our own human hearts, or whether it is like some sort of outside, you know, evil influence, like intelligent evil, um, as Fern and Audrey said, um, mm. either way, like that's why there is such a problem with this whole movement of like my truth, you know, like my truth mm-hmm. in the culture, like speaking my truth, like this is true to me. This feels true to me, like this emphasis on our feelings and, and just like the breakdown of there being like one ultimate truth. And like, we know that there is, and we know that it's the Bible, like God's word is the truth, the singular truth um and so it's like there's no room for us to be like my truth this my (laughs) my feelings this you know because like the bible says right there like the heart is deceitful like on our own without any outside influence our own hearts can deceive us and then we know that the enemy also wants to deceive us like we know he he is prowling around like a lion like he exists to steal kill destroy anyway, so it's like, we just have to be constantly going back to God's word because like, it's a light to our feet or it's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. You know, like we can't Mm -hmm. produce that on our own, like our own sick hearts can't make that happen. And like our truth is basically always going to be wrong if it's not anchored in like that truth.
0: Absolutely. That's great. That's perfectly said.
2: That's so important. So like, Spiritual warfare, like speaking truth to lies, it's like, it can't be our truth. It has to be like speaking the truth to lies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the truth is what actually enables us, enabled us back and back in the day to actually have this authority to walk in. We have, like you said, no authority in our own. Uh, we come at it with our truth. Oh, my gosh. It's going to laugh at us and and spit in our faces. It's going to treat us with uh, contempt and it's going to throw us through the ringer. I mean, it's you have to go through the uh, expert exorcist himself, the very one who gave us the power and authority to trample upon scorpions and serpents and, and to not be hurt by them. Um But we have to, like you said, we have to walk in that. That's the key, because any time we can be that Peter that's looking down at the water and falling down underneath the water, and we have to keep completely anchored to the example and to the person of Jesus who will actively live in us as we live in faith. If we live in faith to him and we give him our all in our faith, then he puts his identity within us. So that we are walking as him. We are literally walking as him. I'm not Jesus, but I, uh, Jesus is in me or can be in me um, more time, sometimes more than others, for sure. And uh, when you were speaking on my truth, I thought about the, the term bittersweet. Um, it got me thinking about how we have to be careful in life of the things that come at us that are at first sweet it's like that candy. It's that, it's that offering the sweet thing at the very first, it's like you meet someone and they just offer you like the best of things right off the bat. Like you got to be careful that you got to look out for that and wonder about it. Wonder what comes with the, what's the price of this sweet thing? Because no one generally does that in the right manner. No one just offers the sweetness without anything involved to get to that sweetness. So bittersweet, mm-hmm. um, you know, if things are coming and appealing to us it, it, and and tickling our fancy, as far as these sweet things that look good to us, like that vampire club scene, partying looked good to him. And then he experienced bitterness for going for the sweetness. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, I, I've, I've looked at it, like I want to appreciate the things in life that are, that often come across more bitter in the beginning because I found that if I accept that bitterness and if I take that bitterness on at the, uh, at the onset, um, then the sweetness comes after and it's lasting. The sweetness is produced from the bitterness, from the affliction.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just thinking about, all of this, like, it's really convicting for me too, as, you know, like I even do this as a Christian, it's like times in my life. Well, yeah. Like daily, you know, stumbling into like sin and stuff. It's because there are things that it's like, well, this doesn't feel sinful, you know, or like people will justify. And by people, I mean, me, like, I also do this, you know, but like, um, things in the Bible where it's like, well, like, (laughs) I hate even saying this because I'm like, wow, this is exactly what happens literally in Genesis, like at the fall, you know, like this is the original lie, but it's like, does the Bible really say that, you know, like, does it really mean this is sinful? Does it really mean we can't do this? You know, it's like, this doesn't feel bad in my heart. Like I don't have malicious intentions. Like I I feel like I'm doing this for good reasons, you know, but it's like, it doesn't matter how I feel. Like if the Bible says we shouldn't do it, like that's, that's the truth. And it doesn't matter how it feels, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: So, yeah, uh, Okay, Just waves of like, <laughs> like, oh, OK, <laughs> I'm wrong. No, that's, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, and that's, see, that's exactly where we actually spiritually develop. That's where it starts from is right where you're at right now, Tori. And I mean, I'm, I'm right there, too, all the time. And in fact, I think it's about that's the spiritual poverty, the poverty. That's that's coming. That's being poor in spirit is to recognize that my own shortcomings as Brandon to really look at my past and my present and realistically look at these things and see the, the exact things that I say or that I fall into based off of what I'm thinking that are leading me away from experiencing God's presence And if I'm feeling depleted, if I'm not feeling any energy, if I'm um, experiencing these things, so often it's because I am allowing it to some extent by something that I've allowed in or some lie that I got fooled by with my own self. I've tricked myself. I've tricked myself into thinking that things are good. And I even like, even my, uh, my short, short marriage I was a part of, I was very much that very thing. I, I was fooling myself by thinking that I was outthinking myself. I thought I was outsmarting myself and, by getting into this marriage. And little did I, uh, I came to find out, nope, uh, actually God was warning me. And I wasn't really just, uh, you know, the one thinking that this isn't right. It was God actively warning me and I still worked against it. I still went for my own way. I still went against everything that I'm, I've been ingrained in with the Bible and all that. It's like, interesting you say that too. Like, did the Bible really say? And I think that creeps up a lot in us more than we realize. I think that there are, there. I time and time again, go back through the Bible and find things that are being said that still cut deep and cut to the core of my own self and, and really show myself for who I am outside of God. And uh, it's not to make us hopeless. It's, it's, it's to be spiritually poor. It's to be made spiritually poor so that we are emptied out of ourselves that we can let God in. Um, So the more capacity, the more that we are able to not just beat ourselves down with our own sins and say, Oh, I'm just a horrible person. But the more that we're able to honestly examine ourselves and say, you know, I don't have it all together, or I I, I need God every single day of my life, the more we're able to really come at that honestly, the more capacity we have for God to really be our identity, to become more of our identity, you know? Yeah. We think his thoughts, yeah. I'm just
2: going to, sorry, I'm just going to read this again, because because I'm having a moment here, but yeah, just again, Proverbs 16, 25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's end is the way to death, you know? And I heard just, there's a sermon. I don't even remember what the passage of scripture was on, but I heard it in high school and this analogy stuck with me. This was like his opening sentence. He was like, what does it feel like to be wrong? It feels like being right. And just kind of like, let that sit for a second. Like when you're wrong, you feel like you're right. You don't you don't recognize that you're wrong usually until way later. And then he used the mental image of like the old wily e. coyote roadrunner cartoons you know and like when Wiley Coyote runs off the edge of the cliff and like he keeps running and he's like running in the air and then he like looks down and falls you know it's like that's that moment like when you're wrong and you don't realize you're wrong and it feels like you're right you know so so we just have to be like constantly checking ourselves like okay Lord this feels right to me but please show me where I'm wrong like I don't I don't want to make like I don't want to make a wrong decision I want to I want to live, you know, like in your truth. And I want to like make decisions based on like the truth, not what feels right to me.
1: Yeah. And, and Brandon mentioned identity. And I want to end on this because we got to, we got to park this bus, Tori. Brandon, we appreciate you coming on. The enemy constantly attacks our identity, who we are. So I wanted to read. a grouping grouping of verses about our identity. If you're a believer, if we're as believers, our identity is in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I set my mind on things above, not on earthly things. For I died and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, since I am in Christ, I am a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have fullness in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for me since I am in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I do not lose heart. Though outwardly I am wasting away, yet inwardly I am being renewed day by day. For my light and momentary troubles are achieving for me an eternal glory, which far outweighs them all. So I fix my eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Praise be to the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed me in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. His divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness through my knowledge of him who called me by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given me his great and precious promises so that through them I may participate in his divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Guys, wow. we thank you so much for listening. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Absolutely, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, I, I do, I do believe that uh, God is God is good, and He's going to absolutely uh, supply us with all that we need to uh, get through the war within ourselves. You know, um, real quickly, I just want to say that the, you know, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is within you. Um, so spiritual warfare is from within as well. And that's emotions, problems, using the mind and heart, um, and getting people to believe the wrong things, like you were saying earlier with identity, getting to believe the wrong things about themselves and what you just laid out there is perfect scripture to end on. I think that that's, that's what we have to keep, uh, keep aware of and, and stay focused on that being the goal of being able to overcome these obstacles in our own lives to be able to step over them and and uh conquer our past wrongs
1: very well said my friend yeah
2: brandon thank you so much for coming on i know i just know we could keep talking for like hours so i'm sorry that that we have to jump off here but we'll definitely have to have you on again
0: i would love to yeah absolutely absolutely that would be great really appreciate awesome. it thank you so much for your time you guys and uh just pray that this helps uh, anyone else listening definitely want to keep other people in mind it's less about me and more about anything that i got to share so hope that got communicated well so thank you guys
2: yeah absolutely thank you for sharing part of your story with us
1: absolutely god bless you I right, bless you too brother camp on tori
2: Come on, Chris.
1: Until next time. Peace. Hey, they came down to top vanity, brought the proliferation of humanity. A hey, fallen sons of the most high God took advantage of the planet he made, forming a holy alliance of evil. And look at the daughters of Adam and Bane. Then the flood rain came to restore its creation or order to how we arranged.